welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. Please remain standing as I read two texts this morning. The first is John chapter 7, verses 45 to 46. Let's hear together the word of God. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, No one ever spoke like this one. And also, John chapter 21, John summarizing his gospel, describing the ministry of Jesus. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is God's holy word. Again, its truth impact our hearts with power. Father, we do pray. You will come again and minister to your flock today through your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Well, it's a communion Sunday, and uh, as we frequently do, not always, but frequently, we're going to break away for one Sunday from the exposition that we're in, which is the epistle to the Colossians. And we're going to focus a message on the Christ of communion. Because we want, as David prayed, to make much of Christ and his cross. As we do that today, I want to begin by reminding you that Jesus of Nazareth is the most influential person who has ever lived on the human scale of things. In fact, that's been acknowledged not only by his followers, but by his critics. There are those that... uh, would have nothing to do with Christ as Savior and Lord, but they uh, have uh, to grudgingly admit the impact of his power. One of those is H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells, uh, a writer and an historian, he basically invented the genre of science fiction, and uh, he wrote The War of the Worlds and many other uh, sci-fi works, but then became a... a uh, an historian and philosopher as well. He rejected the Christian faith early in his life, became an atheist, and then a radical evolutionist. In fact, some of his views on evolution and eugenics were so radical that they paved the way for what happened in Adolf Hitler's Germany decades after he died. So no friend to Christ. He wrote this, though. I'm an historian. I'm not a believer. But I must confess, as an historian, that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very setter of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. End of quote. H.G. Wells, an enemy of the cross, admitting Jesus of Nazareth, the most influential person who ever lived. Of course, Christ's followers have known this and have put it into more eloquent words. One of those was Philip Schaff, who is really the, the greatest church historian in modern times. Uh, and he wrote this of Christ. This Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, 
conquered more millions than Alexander the Great, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all the philosophers and scholars in history combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of any orator or any poet in all of history. And without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, more orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern, modern times." End quote. Boy, he's got that right. Jesus Christ, the most influential person who has ever, ever lived on the human scale alone. Now, uh, Dr. Schaff points out that this was predominantly because of the words of Christ, who, without writing a single line, but the eloquence of his words alone, set meaning into motion in human history. And Christ is the preeminent impact maker in human life predominantly because of his words. So the officers that were sent to arrest Jesus that day in Jerusalem came back without him. And they were right when they said, no man has ever spoken like this man. They didn't know it, but they were speaking inspired truth that would be laid down in the scriptures. It is true that no man ever spoke like Jesus did. And if Jesus was God in human flesh, that's exactly what you would expect, isn't it? Every word perfect, every word endued with power, every word able to change a life in a world. Now later on at the end of his gospel, John was right too that... Uh, he said, I suppose if I were by some miracle able to capture every word Jesus ever uttered and every act Jesus ever committed, they would, they would fill all the volumes in the world. And that's what you would expect if God came to earth as a man. Because everything Jesus did was perfect. Everything Jesus did was filled and covered by the power of God. And everything he said was divinely sent. So that's what you would expect. Every word Jesus ever uttered was perfect and powerful. But if you were asked, what were the greatest words Jesus ever spoke? <laughs> How would you respond, given the fact that everything he ever said was divinely perfect and endued with power? Maybe you'd go grasping around just from your human point of view and say, well, well maybe it's his most famous teaching which most people would say would be that stretch of teaching known as the Sermon on the Mount. Deeply profound analysis of the truly righteous life, the life that God has always authored in his disciples and hoped for. Maybe it was his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, you say. Others might say, well, you know, maybe it was his most famous prayer. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. It was really the disciples' prayer. When they asked him how to pray, he said, pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven. And many people around the Western world can, can finish that. Were those the greatest words Jesus ever spoke? Could they fit that title? Or maybe you would say, no, I, maybe it was the most famous text that he ever spoke. John 3.16, for uh, God so loved the world that that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The ultimate text 
the known text in so many minds. By the way, that wasn't said by the John the Gospel writer about Jesus. That was Jesus describing himself. Were those the greatest words of Christ? No one could finish that debate because all of his words were divinely perfect and covered in power. And so at that point, you would just throw up your hands and say, they're all great. And you'd be right. But I'm going to step out on a limb here as a preacher and pastor, and I'm going to challenge the idea today that we cannot discern that something Jesus said in a certain way stands above everything Jesus said. I'm going to challenge you today because I believe that one thing Jesus said does stand above and could qualify as the greatest thing Jesus ever said, the greatest words Jesus ever spoke. They're contained in the final moments of his cross work, and I want you to turn now to John chapter 19 and verse 30. As we consider the Christ of communion, we have to meditate on the Christ of the cross. And it is there that I believe in a dimension of reality that these were the greatest words Jesus ever spoke. John 19.30. The text reads, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up. His spirit. Three words in our English translation. It is finished. One word in the Greek that the Holy Spirit inspired into this text. The Greek word is tetelestai. And I want to argue before you that that is the greatest word Jesus ever spoke. The greatest thing he ever said. It is finished. Charles Spurgeon, a great Bible teacher of the past, looked at this text and he said that God poured an ocean of meaning into this one powerful word. And that's why I believe it's the greatest thing Jesus ever spoke, greatest thing he ever said. Let's go into it together on this communion Sunday, meditate on it together, see what God has to say. When I uh, teach the Bible, I'm, I'm a fairly simple and straightforward person. Uh, brilliance is not something I've ever been characterized by. I'm just a person that goes into the Bible with a learning and yearning heart. And I often just study the Bible by asking questions of it, and you'll find that a lot of my messages are simply based on the questions I've asked and the answers I've found. And so that's how I'll speak before you today, and I'm going to answer the, the first of three questions. What does this say? And secondly, what does it fully mean for the disciple of Jesus? And then finally, why does it matter? It's a familiar theme you'll hear from me. But there is an ocean of meaning, as Spurgeon said, that will come forth as we study this text. John 19.30, it is finished. First of all, what does it say? Let's look at it. I remind you about the importance of this statement, partly because of where he was when he made it and when it, it, it was spoken. Where was Jesus? We all can see it in the text. He was on the cross of Calvary, suffering 
for sin, for you, for me, paying a debt we could not pay. So it was at the high point of his life. It was in the hour to which his entire human life had been directed. In the moments and in the great act of salvation to which his entire being had longed for. So it was in the greatest moment and in the midst of the greatest act of his earthly life as the God-man. When did it happen? It happened right at the very crest of agony in the cross experience. It was at the end of the hours. The physical suffering had run its great arc of torment. The sky had darkened three hours before, according to the gospel writers. We believe those were the hours in which the wrath of the Father had poured out upon God the Son in dimensions we'll never be able to understand. And the wrath has, had poured out and had exhausted itself on him. And so Jesus makes this statement at the very end of the physical torment and the divine wrath poured out on him in the hours of darkness. He makes it at the end of his cross work. This is so critical to understand the majesty of what he said. I look at this and I go further by asking or stating several things. First, what he didn't say as I looked at this passage. And I read what others have said about these words throughout history. I I note what he didn't say. He didn't say, I am finished. He didn't say, I am finished. Why is that so important? Because many critics of Christianity have said that Jesus could not possibly have been a God-man, the God-man. He was just an ordinary human being who through gifts of eloquence and timing and self-delusion believed that he was on a mission from God, had deluded himself into believing that he was a Messiah for the Jewish people and that his words had created a situation where the politics got ahead of him and he unexpectedly ended up on a cross. That he was a merely human and misguided political figure who tragically ended up in the wrong place and in stunned silence toward the end of his dying just as a man, he said, I am finished. This is all over. That's how critics of Christianity look at this text. That's not what he said. He said, it is finished, a great work that he had performed. No, he wasn't some merely human, misguided political figure who ended up in a human tragedy he couldn't control, like the critics of Christianity say. But even believers have an understanding of Jesus that is less than really what he was in that moment. Those that love Christ and and are really impacted by the physical agony he went through in those hours, look at this statement, it is finished, and, and they have an image, and maybe you do. I have had this in the past, of a, a, a sorrowful sense of what Jesus had gone through in the torment of the cross and, and the agony of physical death, and we look at him as somewhat a human victim of all of this, and that this last statement, it is finished, was uttered by a man sagging on a cross, gasping for breath in the final throes of the human death experience, 
And it was kind of a, a sagging and gasping statement he made at the end as the final point of a painful physical death. It was a painful physical death, but in my opinion, it was not Christ in a sagging, gasping final moment as a man experiencing a physical death he had to experience for us. Sort of in a form of final surrender, dying as we would die because, you see, I don't believe Jesus died like any human being ever did. Because, you see, he was God. He was and is the God-man. He didn't go through death like any of us or any man or woman ever will. You see, he died not because he had to, but because he chose to. And death wasn't something that happened to him in those hours on the cross. It was something he went through and ordered in his own divine power. This is an amazing thought when you come to it. See, Jesus Christ was in full victory in every moment of every hour on the cross. He was in charge of it all. Scripture tells us this in John chapter 10, where Jesus was predicting and talking about the work that was coming. He said, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Notice what he did not say. He didn't say the Father loves me because I'm going to allow men to take my life. No, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. I'm in full control of my dying and I will be in full control of my rising. No one takes it from me. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. What does that mean? It means that in the annals of eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created a plan of salvation and of redemption for God's people. And that plan was entered into fully and willingly by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father authored the plan and put it in motion. The Son fully stepped forward and said, I will lay my life down on that cross at that point in human history of my own accord, Father, to buy my sheep, to pay their price. And the Holy Spirit said, I will walk in comfort and strength over the Son at every footfall. Salvation was a divinely designed work of mighty grace and love and it was not something jesus was forced to do by the hand of man in a sense no man's hands nailed christ's wrist to the cross he willingly laid them there and the hand of the father did the nailing it's a powerful thing to think about now the reason i feel this way is because the scripture tells us that Christ was in magnificent control of every moment from the beginning when the crossbar was laid down and he was able to call out to the Father as he was raised to the sky, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was in magnificent loving control of every moment of those hours of agony and suffering. The scripture even says in a companion passage in Luke that at the very end, at this point when Jesus said, it is finished, 
And that, then he said, Father, into your hands I, 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 I give my spirit. The Bible says in Luke that Jesus said it with a loud voice. Don't miss that. Jesus did not, with a, with a head hanging low, said, say, it is finished. Listen, I believe he may have gazed up to the sky and said, it is finished. I have completed a work, O oh Father, that we ordained from eternity past, and it's now been fully accomplished in this point of time. And nothing ever will need to be done again. And Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus Christ died once for all. So don't look at Christ in this passage that I'm teaching you with an air of pity in that final moment as though he was overwhelmed by the death experience. Jesus Christ controlled every moment of his suffering and his dying. And he didn't die in the sense that death took him. He allowed himself to give up his spirit. As Almighty God, he ended that moment of his human experience fully in control. What a mighty Lord. Dr. A.W. Pink described it this way. It is finished. This was not the despairing cry of a helpless martyr. It was not an expression of satisfaction that the termination of his sufferings was now reached. He answers both of the things I just said. He wasn't a deluded human man who was not God, but he also was not finally saying, oh, finally, it's over. Neither one of those things, Dr. Pink said, was happening. It was not the last gasp of a worn-out life. No, rather, it was the declaration on the part of the divine Redeemer that all for which he came from heaven to earth to do was now done. End of quote. He captured it. It's important to know what Jesus didn't say. But secondly, it's important to see and meditate on what he did say. What he did say was that he had accomplished something. He had accomplished it. And now we get into the, the elements of the word itself. You look at your Bible. It is finished. Three words in our English. One powerful word in the Greek language that the Holy Spirit used to describe this moment. Detalestai is the Greek word. What does this possibly bring to our thinking? What does the word tetelestai describe? Tetelestai was a word that came from the Greek verb teleao. It was derived from another word, telos, from which we get telescope. I mentioned this to you in a message or two a week or two ago. It was the idea of bringing a far distant goal into reality. Something that you'd seen from afar off and you're bringing it into completion. One Greek authority I read this week said it meant a goal achieved, a consummation, a result attained. It meant to bring something to a successful end, to its intended or destined goal. It didn't mean just to complete a task, but to carry it out fully, to bring it to the finish and to perfection. The telestai is a word of finality. It's written here in the perfect tense in the Greek, which means it is finished it stands finished, and it will always be finished. Again, I declare to you, Jesus Christ died once for all. So this word talks about completing a task, finishing a, 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 a great accomplishment to bring something to a perfect and successful and powerful end to achieve something. 
We find interestingly that that in the in the, the words of Christ, we we see this all being shaped out early in his ministry. He was looking to that cross every moment. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The same verb, teleao, that gave word gave birth to the to telestai at the very end. Jesus was using that word in the very beginning of his ministry, saying, I'm headed to a work, and my whole life's passion is to accomplish that work on that cross. Further on in John 17, the night before all of this happened, in his final prayer to the Father, he was looking ahead as he was finishing his earthly ministry and heading the next morning to the cross. He said, Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Teleao, again, I am on the eve of bringing it to completion, Father. Everything you and I and the Spirit have dwelt on from eternity past, oh, I'm about to accomplish it on that cross. He was exulting over it. He was saying, Father, I've glorified you. This work is as good as done. So we know that Jesus was heading in that direction, both as a servant of the Father and as the Son of the Father. It's interesting when uh, the word to telestai, it is finished, is studied in the Greek and Roman manuscripts uh, and the Near Eastern manuscripts of that time. There are several uses of it. One was as a son. And a son was often, if he was given a task by the Father... In ancient secular Greek texts, there are examples of a father sending his son on a mission. And the son was not to return until he had performed the final act of his mission, whatever it was. And when the son did return from that successful mission, he would come up to his father and he would say, Tetelestai, father, I have completed that for which You sent me. I have honored your will. And Jesus Christ said in the Gospel of John, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. The Father sent me to that cross. And one day I will have fully accomplished his work. And when Jesus cried out on the cross, Tetelestai, it was not just a statement to history or to those that heard him. It was a great declaration to the Father. Father, Tetelestai. I have completed that for which you sent me. Salvation's great work. Jesus also said in the text that I read you that he'd been given a work to do as a servant, not only as a son, but as a servant. It's interesting that in uh, the Greek and Roman culture, other uh, texts and things were discovered that talked about servants when they... uh, were given a task by a master, they would go off and perform that task, whatever it was, as a servant in a household, a doulos. And when they came back to their master with the task complete, they would say, Master, to Telestai, I've done the work that you gave me to do. That wraps itself into our, into our text as well, because Jesus was not only sent by the Father, he was given a work to do by the Father, and this is a great declaration that the great work he had been given had been done. He said, I have accomplished, Father, the work that you gave me to do. So he had accomplished something profound and great. Now, I'll lead you to ask, what was it that he did What was the greatness of what 
he brought to completion on that cross. Well, there are actually, in my opinion, as I've looked through the, the Bible record, three things. In increasing levels of greatness, but one that was greater than all the others. First thing he accomplished and fulfilled at that end of his cross work was that he, he fulfilled all prophecy. He was, of course, the subject of over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament record that identified that when Messiah came... When the God-man arrived on the planet, he would fulfill all of these prophecies. And throughout the life of Christ, and even in the death of Christ, all those prophecies were fulfilled to the letter, whether the prophecy beginning in Genesis 3, that the one who would come would be the seed of the woman. He would come into earthly existence in a supernatural way through what we know as the virgin birth all the way to this final moment where in verse 30 it says when Jesus had received the sour wine, do you realize that that was also a fulfillment of one of the 300 prophecies? It's a prophecy uttered in Psalm 69 verse 21 that in the very final moments of his dying experience, Messiah would take sour wine to his lips. All of these things in magnificence or in minor moments were fulfilled by Jesus Christ all through his life. And Jesus here declares that even in this moment, he's fulfilling prophecy. Of course, the greatest prophecy of all was what was laid out by Isaiah the prophet, that there would come one as the Lamb of God upon whom God would lay the iniquity of us all. It was all being fulfilled in those hours and finalized in that moment. So Jesus fulfilled prophecy. You see, Jesus, with these 300-plus fulfilled prophecies, as I've told you before, is marked out in all of human history as the Savior, the expected one, the God-man, the Messiah, because only he fulfilled all of these. Only his life fulfilled everyone. He's what I've called the date-stamped deliverer. You go throughout human history looking for the Savior the Scriptures promised. There is only one in whom all of this fulfillment gathers. It's Jesus of Nazareth. Now that's a great thing that he accomplished in that moment, fulfilling prophecy yet again, but there was something greater. Another thing he accomplished was that he defeated death. In that great statement, it is finished. He defeated death. Now, Jesus Christ was described in 1 John as a appearing, coming to the planet, partially because he was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And in John 12, 31, on the way to the cross... He said this, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast down. He's talking about Satan. He's pointing to the, the effects of his cross work. What it is finished would mean for Satan. Now we know that the scripture tells us that Satan is still the God of this world according to the scripture. 1 John five nineteen tells us that Still, the whole world, the whole cosmos, the human experience and everything human in our existence is under the power of the evil one. So 
Satan is still in operation. How then could Jesus say, when the cross work was done, the ruler of this world would be cast out? As I look at the scripture, I believe he was talking about what what the scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 2. That though the devil is still the prince of this darkness and the god of this world, a dimension of his power was ripped out of his hands the moment Jesus said, it is finished. And the dimension of that power, according to Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15, was the power of death. The Bible says the devil held the keys of death and hell in a sense that he held it as a power over lost people. And Jesus Christ, through his mighty death and his resurrection, destroyed the power that Satan had to bring death and wield death over people without hope. Jesus blew hope into all of that. And so in that sense, the devil is cast out. We know that his work will continue and his evil will ride until in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, as it was prophesied, soon the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. That's a time yet coming. But oh my, so much was done in that moment. Death was taken in the sense that Satan could not hold it without hope over anyone anymore. We can turn to Christ and find deliverance. That's great. But there was something still greater. Not only did he fulfill all prophecy in that great statement, not only did he defeat death as Satan's great tool in that great moment, but he also paid for our sin. That's the greatest. That's the thing that upended universal history. That's the thing that rings in heaven. When he said, I have finished it, Lord. He said, I have finished the payment for sin. It's interesting, I I mentioned to you the the discoveries they've made over the years in archaeology about this word, tetelestai, a common word in human relations. A servant walking into a room saying, Master, I have finished the work you gave me. Tetelestai, Master, or a son returning from a mission to his father saying, Father, I finished that which you sent me for. To tell us thy father, it's also been discovered that, that the, the word to tell us thy was commonly used to, uh, to note that a debt was paid. When someone had a debt in that time and it was paid off, the creditor would write to tell us thy on that certificate of debt, which is their way of saying in our modern language, paid in Back in 1895, two British archaeologists named Grenville and Hunt participated in a dig in Egypt in which they essentially uncovered the office of an ancient CPA. Some of you that know CPAs may see that they actually found the CPA still in there. So, no, just a little pastoral humor. They uncovered the office of an ancient accountant, so to speak, and in that office, they essentially found the remains of stacks of bills. And across each, the Greek word to telestai was written, paid in full. So, in a sense, 
from the human experience, that's how the word was used here, I would submit to you that in the divine experience, don't miss this, our sin, clear before God, the one to whom we owed a great price was paid in full by Jesus Christ. That's the greatest of things. Let me not just prove my point from a human illustration, but let me remind you that the word of God declares this. Luke 19.10. Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. And when he finally said, It is finished, that was what was finished. The great saving work of Christ. In Mark 10.45, the famous verse where he said, Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a Ransom for many. What is a ransom? It is the payment of a price placed on another's life. What did Jesus fully declare to the Father in that magnificent moment when he said, it is finished? He said, Father, the price has been paid. The price owed by these sinners to your perfect justice and and holiness has been paid. Believe me, Believers have banked on that ever since. Paul in 1 Timothy 1, who described himself as the greatest of sinners, said this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. I'm banking my life on this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his work, not to be an eloquent teacher, not to be an impressive leader, not to be a social change agent, not to be a mesmerizing personality, not to be a morally perfect man and just be seen and then live and die. He came to save sinners, to pay the ransom on their heads. Paul said, I'm trusting this. It's deserving of full acceptance. I'm banking on it that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And Paul was saying decades after he met the risen Christ, I am banking on this, that when Jesus said it was finished, it was finished for me. And every believer stands in that same place and says, oh, I'm trusting that it was finished for me. In fact, the entire church in heaven is going to be declaring the same thing. Revelation 5.9. This is a projection into the future now. The church in heaven the rapture has occurred, we're, we're in heaven, we're surrounding the throne of God. And God is preparing his final judgments of the tribulation to be poured out on the nations. And as all of that begins to roll into place, we'll be around the throne in the future, his redeemed church. And we'll be singing a new song, the scripture says. What will the song have as its lyric, Revelation 5, 9, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you know that we will be singing about the great moment when Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished all the way through eternity. This is why I submit to you that this was the greatest thing Jesus ever said. These are the greatest words Jesus ever uttered because they were cried out in time in victory and they will echo through all eternity.
last two dimensions, and I bring it to our meditation of communion. Second question I asked was not only what do I see, and, but what does it mean? I'll put it in a phrase. When Jesus cried out, it is finished. He meant the debt of sin that I owe to God was paid in full, and that I, as one of his, am now safe from the wrath of God. The debt of sin that I owe to God was paid in full by Jesus at that moment, in that hour, by that act, and I am now safe from the wrath of God. Safe. <laughs> safe. This is precious. I go back to Spurgeon, who years ago made that statement. I began with that God has poured an ocean of comfort into this one beautiful word. He went on and he said, What a grand utterance is this word to tell us die. For now we are safe, for salvation is complete. Our sin debt was now out of the last dollar. In that moment, all paid, paid in full. The atonement was made once and for all and forever by the one offering that Jesus that was made in Jesus' body on the cross. Dr. Spurgeon writes, There was the cup taken in the dark hours, the cup of God's wrath. Hell was in it. But the Savior drank it. He didn't just take a sip and then set it aside. No, he drained it till there is not a drag left for any of his people. The great ten-thonged whip of the law was worn out upon his back that day. Now there is no lash left with which to smite one for whom Jesus died. I love the way he put it at the end. The great heavy artillery barrage of God's Wrath and justice had exhausted all its ammunition. And now there is nothing left to be hurled against a child of God. We are safe from the wrath of God and the justice of God that we duly deserve because of our sin before God, because Jesus took the wrath for us. And when he had done it all, he declared to the world and to the Father, it is finished that's our lord that's the that's the mark amen 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 and amen that's what it means beloved <laughs> lastly why does it matter how about if you're yet to believe you're here today or watching and online and you've not trusted christ what does it mean for you well it means that there's a payment for your debt available. And the Holy Spirit may be striking your heart right now with deep conviction over the fact that you're a person with a debt of sin. You cannot pay to a perfect God. The payment has been made. Accept it. Some of you may be saying that haven't yet trusted Christ. Well, these are stirring words, Pastor, but you don't know how badly I've sinned. There are secrets in my life I'll never tell anyone about what I've done, where I've been, and who I've harmed. You don't know how badly I've sinned. 
Well, I'll tell you this. It couldn't be bad enough. And I'm glad for that. Because you see, if there was one dimension of human sin over the whole span of human experience that was too great for Jesus to ultimately absorb the price, then there's no hope. If just one sin had been too much in the human catalog of time that came hurling toward Jesus in terms of the judgment he would take for it, and if it got to the point where Jesus said, this is too much, I cannot bear the shame for this sin, I cannot bear the wrath for this act, if there was one sin in the entire experience of humankind that was just too much, his sacrifice would have failed. It would have been imperfect, and the entire great saving work of Christ would have collapsed. So no, my friend, you may think that you've outsinned the cross. I'm happy to tell you, you can't. His satisfaction and his sacrifice was perfect. That's why the Father raised him from the dead. He said, oh, I accept fully your payment. That's a marvelous treasure, isn't it? See, if just one sin had been too much, or if just one moment of the wrath of God had been too long, we would all be lost. You could put it this way, if if Jesus had gotten to a point where he took almost all of this, but he got to a point where he didn't say it is finished, he said, this is enough. Enough. And he staved off one ounce of that wrath that fell on him. Lost we would be. Jesus didn't say, this is enough. Jesus said, it is finished. He had you in his heart. Everything you've ever done. Me in his heart. Everything I've ever done or will do looked upon all of that, tasted the sting of God's wrath for it all, and said, that's finished too. Bless his wonderful name. This is why you've heard pastors speak forever about the finished work of Christ. This is that which we speak. Why does it matter? Oh, it's finished for you. Just come to him. Trust him as Savior in this moment. How about as a believer? Well, as believers, when we fall, we are troubled. When you fall in sin as a Christian, your conscience may accuse you. It's partly because someone else is accusing you too, and that's the enemy himself. The Bible says he's still allowed access into heaven, and in some incredible way he accuses the believers day and night before the throne of God, the Bible says. And so sin troubles you and the enemy takes it before the courtroom of the Father, according to 1 John 2. He rightfully says and points at your life for that moment that you've just fallen into and he accuses you before the Father. He says, look what they've done. But in that courtroom rises another before God the Father, who is the judge of all men. Who is it? It's the risen Lord Jesus Christ now standing in the throne room of heaven. And Jesus rises as your defense attorney. And he says, I object. 
to Telestai, Father, holds those wounds out before the eyes of the judge. And God the Father looks at those wounds and looks at the reality of your sin, believer, and he says, objection sustained. I find no fault with this one. Oh, that's why I believe these were the greatest words Jesus ever spoke. He shouted that out in time, but they are going to be spoken throughout all eternity as our heavenly right and truth.